Warning, strong content. This episode of Murder Trails includes references to true crime, murder and homicide and to people who are now deceased. For more information, please read our description. Welcome to Murder Trails, presented by Jack Sim and Crime Tours Australia. Welcome to Murder Trails, the official podcast of Crime Tours Australia and Brisbane Crime Tours. I'm Jack Sim, publisher and author of the Murder Trails series of crime books. And uh, welcome to episode three of our podcast. Those of you that are joining us on air, great to know that you're listening. And those that are watching on YouTube, great, great to know that you're going to be uh, watching us as well. Now, joining me here in the Skull Cave today is... Uh, former prison officer John Peel. John was a prison officer at Brisbane Prison, better known in Queensland as Boggo Road Jail, between 1975 and uh, 1988. And John uh, also heads up the Retired Prison Officer Association, Boggo Road. He looks after old officers from Boggo Road and just uh, keeps them all connected. John, it's great to have you along. Thanks, Jack. Uh, yeah, this is interesting, but yeah. Old days of Bogger Road. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There's only one Bogger Road. Jesus, shut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I don't envy you. What a, John and I have known each other for quite some years, and um, I'm talking with John what it was like to be a prison officer. As I've often said on our Bogger Road Jail podcast, prison officers are the other unsung service. You know, there's a lot of focus on police and fireys. Prison officers' role often in society has been overlooked at times. Um, but um, today, John, why I've got you here today is we're going to be talking about the infamous characters behind the firebombing of the Whiskey A Go Go. And of course, I want to talk to you about James Richard Finch and John Andrew Stewart. But also, we might explore a couple of other of the shady characters that were around in this period of time. In the last two episodes, I, uh, my guest was uh, Councillor Paul Tully. Paul Vivid really remembered that era. We've talked about both the, the lead-up to the Whiskey A Go-Go and the firebombing itself. Um, and then with Hugh, I thought we'd explore these these uh, these figures behind the scenes that were inside the walls of the jail. It's 50 years ago this year, John, since it happened. Do you, do you Were you living in Brisbane at the time of the firebombing of the Whiskey A Go-Go? No, not at the time. Uh, that was, what was it? 73. 73. 73, yeah. It was, uh, no, I wasn't. I came to Brisbane in 75, which I started at St Paddy's Day at Lake Holt in the training unit there. And then we went, come down, and it was all at Bogger Road. So as a newbie to welcome to uh, this is a prison, boy, she was something. But Bogger Road was. Oh, mate, those walls. When, when, you're, when you're a bit of a, when you look at those walls, you think, how high are they? But. When you, you see it, you think, wow, in reality, it's uh, they're tall. And the bloke up on the, up on the, up on the tower is there with a rifle and a pistol and who's down below? But when you go inside, you, she's an eerie feeling when you hear that big steel gate shut. Bang, bang. Oh, okay, yeah, but that was back then, no. Um, whiskey go It wasn't sort of like, I was a football guy, so um, those sort of topics weren't my, my uh, range of thoughts, you know, I was more 
dangerous and the horses and the, the sports things. And you come in and you're going to run into this fellow called John Andrew Stewart that's got so much notoriety and would be and uh, Finch and quite a few other blokes. But yeah, do you, do you, do you remember John what it was like to uh, in our, our last episode we sort of covered their trial that they were um, convicted and were sentenced to life imprisonment to be served which will, of course, they were being housed in the main prison for Queensland at that time. Obviously, there were just towns or uh, prison as well, Rockhampton. But Bulga Road, Brisbane Prison was where they were being going to serve their life sentences. Do you remember, what was your first impression of the two of them? You know, do, you, do, you, do you remember when you first met them both? Well, see, Stuart was the one that we, we were drummed up on and how bad, you know, where he, his times in jails and where he'd been belted and booted and kicked and rooted and whatever. He um, he was uh, you know he'd eyeball you, and he he stood out like a sore thumb because back then when we started in the jail we all had hand-me-down uniforms from the so you just stood out and then you had to march around the jail and of course he was up in his cages up there in Sea Wing and that and uh, Sea Wing was what was that in terms of the jail the secure the secure oh he was in the cage, he was in the he was in the cages up in one yard way up at the top there in the far corner away from all the crims in particular, because um, there, there was so-called a bounty set up on him and all this, and uh, he's going to do a bit of a session later up on A-Wing when they kind of started demantling and he was up on the roof and doing the uh, police innocence and all this in Brixie Road. When you were saying there's a bounty on him, what, there were prison, there was like a bounty to injure him? Well, word had it that he was, he was one who could get him. You only heard the, you know, it was around the traps and that, he was wanted, you know, he was wanted by the underworld, he was wanted by who, 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 and this, um, and he was actually up in the cages for his own protection, let alone away from crims where someone's going to try and get themselves into jail and going to get themselves out there in the cages with him, put on a performance and then put a blade into him somewhere along the way and take him out, you know, they, they were, that was back then and, uh, you know, we, we were well informed that, you know, he was double S cuff and cuff and uh, with the braces on that, wherever he went. And he was no good. Finch was the same. Um, initially, I can't remember much about Finch. Just that he knew him, he'd carry the, uh, the um, thing on his shoulder and he'd run around in his leather sandals around his, uh, and he'd wet the, wet the concrete so he'd run around to make it more, it was harder for him to go round and round and round because he was just like a, uh, just going around like a trotter, going around with his weight and then he'd go back around some of the other way. He'd do this for ages and ages, but, but that comes at a later date. And then, but with the leather sandals and the wet concrete, like the, the traction is a bit slippery and he'd have to focus harder on it, which made him train harder. And then he'd do the, he had this thing that he was punching something, but it was just, just rather take his aggression out on that than on us. He was okay. But he, he he himself then, but but going back to Stuart, you know, he was, um, he, he'd pick you a mile off. He, you know, you, mind you, you had, a, you had a different uniform which was a hand-me-down, it was grotty looking, the collars were pretty grotty, how you going, the belt that they gave us the whole lot, but yeah. Just this for a new, new oh, prison officer yeah. while we were at, you didn't get a nice, nice new oh, uniform. No, 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 the budget didn't allow for that. Yeah, but, but it made you a target, well not target, oh, it stood, stood out. out. Yeah, it stood yeah. out, you screw, you screw, you'd hear it, you'd hear it. Then you, of course you wouldn't know the creeps that were going to give you a bit of a, a little bit of a, See, you go, hey, pussycat, I'll get you up in my cell. Come on up here. <laughs> yeah, 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 good on you. <laughs> Howard, 
do you, do you remember what in those early days when you first started? What, what did Stuart look like? I mean, in his day, like some of the photos of him, he looks quite a handsome character. Um, you know, I, I, I met uh, I met two women and interviewed them in the past who said, "Oh, he was really hot." You know, he was handsome, but I think by the time he was in Rotorua, I mean, he was starting to show he was injuring himself and such in jail. But what What are your memories of what he looked like? Oh, <clears throat> he was a solid bloke. He looked like a front row forward in a, in a rugby league pack. He was solid. He was bigish with you know a bit of, but he. Uh, He'd give you that look. He'd give you that look, and when he'd look at you, you know, but that's part of his game. But he was a solid sort of, like, as I said, a front row forward. Um, and uh, because of the, the blue shirts that they wear, it's prison prison uniform. Uh, I remember once, um, because up in the cages, in the cages there are individual monkey cages. I couldn't believe it. They are isolated. Oh, like steel cages. Steel cages, yeah. And then, But where he was, he was down the far corner closest towards the PA hospital. And uh, they moved him around because of the fact that his word was just kept him on his toes, shipped him around so he didn't know where he was going. If he's got one time he's going to work on something or going to try and break out or do something. They just moved him around. And, uh, you know, it was just a bit of a, probably a bit of a mind game as well. But he'd give in there and you'd see his eyes looking at you. And we'd have to have a 24-hour watch in that, in that one yard and he was um, an officer had to remain inside that um, inside that holding area. Um, I'm trying to explain it. One yard, you had one gate on the main annex. Then you had another gate that took you down this alleyway to where the six cells on the left, and he was down the far end. Then you had another another gate to go through to get to him. So you physically had to go through one, two, three, plus his door four to get to him. And where he was down there, and he was under twenty-four hour surveillance with with a uh, an officer there all the time, even night time. And it was just, but he loved that. He pick out his officers that knew, like if you're a newbie, he targeted you. He had his little mind games he'd play with you. What, what John? Like what would he do? Oh, just little things. He'd be looking at you, eyeing you off, like you know, if you look pretty or whatever. Just a simple throw, put you off or. But, but the other guys, the other crews in the yard, because our superintendents believed in in the cages, like I just call them monkey cages, if you had, uh, if you raped another prisoner or you belted an officer, you don't tie them up in the cages. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not a fit human. And of course, Stuart was down the end there, but they had to be careful on who they're going to locate, whether it was a setup, um, someone's got themselves into jail, they want to get up into the cages, how do I get up into the cages, how can I get near this bloke called Stuart? Features down a bit, down in foyard, but... They, um, they they worked on it because they sort of got the intel. You know, you guys know what's going to happen, or um, there's a bike really and he's coming up and he's going to try and bump him off, get him. But uh, yeah, no. Um, but they were one on one. Stuart was never allowed to mingle with any of the other 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 prisoners. Uh, if he did, he was handcuffed to his in the front here. He had a straight jacket type thing, and uh, he, had, he had select officers, very select guys that could go a bit and definitely go a bit. Didn't he? But strangely enough, they were London Bobbies and Scottish Bobbies. Yeah, Johnny Ford was one, in particular, and uh, Charlie Lindors. Just blokes who could really handle themselves, and you've seen them go, and yeah, you can't. Because it was, you know, how you can explain how you, who got to, got to Stuart, even with all his credentials, and, and he was a wanted man by the underworld. By the underworld. Yeah. Look, he was notorious for injuring himself in different ways. 
Can you take us through some of the things he did? Oh, that wire crossing. Oh, God. <clears throat> that was an amazing thing. Um, yeah, the, this is before my time, but from what I was told, that they um, you get two bits of wire crossing together like uh, what's that, two inches, two bits of or needles, and he'd cross them. And they get rubber bands and make like a kite formation with a rubber band. So you had the, the cross, the letter X, <clears throat> and then they'd get it and fold them back down together, and it'd form one straight line, like two two straight lines. And then they put he put um, bread, he'd get a loaf of bread, and compact it over the over the wire crosses. So that formed a uh, one piece of bread, say, but inside it, um, the wire, <clears throat> and then they he'd swallow it. On the event that his gastric acids would would dissolve the bread, and next thing, ping, and then he yeah, and he's bleeding or whatever, and he, and, he, and they, that was to disrupt that was to disrupt the court case as it was in progress and uh, put a metal detector on. Here we go, here we go, yeah. Have to be taken to hospital, operated on to pull it out. Yeah, it finished. Yeah, was, they had it, they had it set up that they were doing that, and then they just do another one. You know how the hell? Because because his cells had to be searched all the time. See, one thing that I still remember very brand new being that inside caged area up in the ceiling. When when Stuart come out to have a shout, he had that we'd have about five six officers there. They'll be searching his cell when he was having a shout, and this is when he targeted you. And he come out, and I still remember this guy. Like, Holy hell! Have a look at his back. This, you hear about you know, someone who got a knife in my back? Well, this guy had that many stab wounds in his back and in the front of his where he. Uh, Big operation, he had about an inch wide because he'd done it several times and had to try and bring the skin to back together. And you couldn't miss it, it was about, uh, was it, about eight inches long. He had a huge scar here in particular. We had to watch him, and he'd want to, he wanted to say, Hey, you want to look at my ass? You know, he just do this. And yeah, he'd, he'd get this in, you know, and a couple of the senior officers say, Ha, ah, you know, knock it off, knock it off, Stuart. Because he was just baiting you, just trying to get a bite out of you. Do. He targeted me, but, but that's okay. And then he learned. I'm not going to play his game, so just leave him alone. Yeah, I was amazed. But the scars on his back, Jack, honestly, the scar, if I could visual, I can still see it now. I can see the scar. It's, it's probably think of it as a butchered piece of meat and, and it's scarred out, like the old fashioned appendix scars, you know, different sizes. He, he'd been gone at it. I'll tell you what, he was staunch. He wouldn't give you up, but that was the thing. He was a. When you say that, you know, some of our listeners might know what you mean when you say wouldn't give you up. You mean. What do you mean know. by that? No. He'd he done time in Grafton, and, and uh, I believe it, that's a real hard and criminal jail like Bogger Road. And, uh, mate, he, he, got a, he, he got a bit of a, you know, the, a shiv as a knife or a bit of metal, and he's had that, and they've got at him. He never gave him up. That was a strange thing. And he always kept it. If he got flogged or anything, he, he accepted it, you know. But he, didn't, if he, he didn't name who had attacked him. Oh, heck no. no you no. called the dog if you did, you know, and then you'd ask him. And that, but he was a, he was branded. He was um, amazing, you know. But the scars on his back and on his chest, like he got them in the front and in the back, and his body was mutilated. And I still remember the night he died. Actually, Jack, I mean, it was about around New Year's Eve. And when the word breaking news, breaking news, which was back in the uh, yeah, when he died, I thought, oh gee, when he died, he was. Um, Joe Andrew Stewart died in his found dead in his cell on New Year's Day 1979. You you remember that vividly? Actually, 
was in the evening that was they fanned. Uh, when, fan yeah. when they fanned him, they fanned him because I was at a party and I heard, Jesus, Stewart's dead. Well, there'd be no loss, but that's not okay. But who's on? There's going to be some paperwork to fly about this. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't there because I don't need to know about this one. Boy, yeah, no, he um, he was worth it. He was only a young bloke. I don't know how old he was, but his body was mutilated, Jack. Gee, it was bad. He he had some serious scars because he had to get naked and we had to watch him that he wasn't doing nothing. And how did he get those wire crosses? But I can tell you a funny story. Because um, <clears throat> his cell was way up the top in the corner of C-Wing facing P, uh, the PA hospital, <clears throat> we had a stop work meeting out the back gate at the prison down the back. And... Uh, Officers, yeah, it was like a like a union discussion. Oh, this is so funny. We're going to go on strike, and <coughs> uh, I still remember my mate Phil Latimer and a few of the boys. They're on the union there, and they're up there. And um, because Stuart hated cops completely, he just always reckoned they framed him all the way. He wired. He actually got some wire wired up his mouth so he couldn't talk to the coppers. And uh, he collected any bowel of shit or feces, whatever you want to call it, you kept it in a bucket. That was for any copper to come anywhere near him in the back up in the cages. He did. <clears throat> but prior to that, he'd yell out, he'd yell out, because the voice really travelled well there down to where we had a union meeting in the back of Walsley Street, where the back government uh, medical place, uh, not medical, um, transport, Queensland Transport had their pits there that they did uh, vehicle inspections and trucks and that. And he yells out, Come back, come back, you blokes! Don't go out any longer. All these coppers are coming in here, you know. And he's yelling, "Adamo, for God's sake, get back up here, mate, mate!" You know, he loved. It. He actually, but he knew I screwed. But when the coppers come in, whoa, we didn't like that. Now, <laughs> no, old, old Stewarty, you're a funny bugger on that one there. Yeah. And uh, they said, "Oh, Jesus Christ, he's still stuck." But he had a couple of officers that were worked there. A fellow called Ron Boronetti, a superintendent. The you Baron know, was his nickname. The wasn't Baron it? had a lot to do with Stuart, and he could control him. Um, he just pointed his finger down and knock it off, Stuart. He, he knocked it. And, and the Baron was only like a little cock band and a little pommy bug. He was super. But he could control him. He actually had a lot, a lot of influence over him. And like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, no, no. Obviously, it's all right. It's all right. And you go in and talk to him. Just like that. But yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. We might take a break at just this moment, John, and um, we'll pick it up after we hear from our sponsors. Discover Brisbane's criminal history. Join me, Jack Sim, and my team of guides as we explore Queensland's fascinating criminal past. Cases we explore include the Whiskey A Go Go, the Betty Shanks murder, and the Vampire Killer. We have a range of different crime walks and coach tours. To book a tour, brisbanecrimetours.com.au or crimetoursaustralia.com.au. Look forward to sharing dark past with you. Welcome back everyone. I'm talking with John Peel, former prison officer, worked at Bogaroe from 1975 to 1988. Um, did you enjoy your job, John? It was different, Jack. Um, um, one of my most vivid things when I first started there was uh, the old A-Wing where they used to hang them and, uh, and B-Wing. But, uh, but A-Wing in particular, we I started, I had these bunch of guys who were, as I was saying, got the London Bobbies and uh, and my mate Johnny Ford, he was a senior, and these other guys. And we had to go down to the dungeons down in the um, bottom of A-Wing. We had to walk down, had to pull this big steel grate up. And 
and walk down because it's after all the, the wing was empty and that, and uh, go down and like you'd be carrying what's this fucking carrying bread? This like a big jug of water. And we go down the cell, and I still remember the crim. Um, and you walk down, and they and the crim's inside, and you he, he, up against the wall, they give him alcohol, you know, in the Scottish accent, and uh, unlock the door, and uh, if I could walk in with a, a, a big loaf of bread. The other bike was water, they were on bread and, bread, bread and water ration. They go, holy hell, is that real? Yeah, it was. You know, down there, like three days on, and then they get the GMO on that. But the bloke, the crimson, had his, about, his nose was about an inch away from the wall, and it used to stink down there because it was, you know, it was just the pits. You know, the old dungeons, that was left and right down the bottom of the Same in B Wing, they had the same. Mm. Um, <coughs> I think John Andrew Stewart was one of the last prisoners to ever be put down in that. A-Wing's black hole. Um, well, I think he claimed in a newspaper article I read that he reckoned he was, but there you know, might have been others, but he definitely was one of the last. Uh, that wouldn't surprise Jack because I know I know Finch would love, he used to love getting into isolations like that to get away from the rest of the crimps because mm. they're just geeks. They all talk about Long Bay, what they did. They're all would-be's and they could-be's and all that. And they, you just listen to Crimson, oh, yeah, you, know, you wouldn't fight your way out of a paper bag, you know, wear paper bag and just... And they wanted to mouth off how they went in Darwin, Fenny Bay, Long Bay, Drap, and they all love to show Drap. I met an a, a Aboriginal fellow who did a lot of time right across Australia. He'd been everywhere, he'd done time in Bogo and Western Australia, he'd done you know, Frio, he'd done time in uh, he'd done time in Long Bay, he'd done time in Petridge. And he said he, he's a big, big bloke, and he said the first thing I did, Jack. He said, as soon as I got to anywhere I was set, wherever I got pinched, he goes, I, I belt someone. And so I go straight to whatever was the lock up. And he said, and then you did easy time because you weren't dealing with all the dickheads in the yards. <laughs> That's the exact words. <coughs> he said, that was my standard modus operandi. <laughs> he said, I just, just, just belt some, belt some criminal, I get locked up. And he said, then I didn't have to deal with anyone in the yards. And he said, I've been stuck there for weeks, you know, isolated. And he said, you didn't have to deal with anybody. Like, so I, I'd much prefer that than sitting in the yard listening to all the sob stories and everyone's backstory. You know. With um, well, we're talking about a wing um, for listeners and, and viewers that wouldn't realise, but uh, well, Bogaro Jail opened. If, if you're unfamiliar with the jail, it opened in 1883 in Brisbane. It was officially in the early days called the Brisbane Jail or HM Jail South Brisbane. Um, it was built on a well-known road on the Brisbane south side called Bogo Road and because the, the prison jail was located on it it just got the nickname Bogo Road Jail. Over time it became HM Prison Brisbane ended its days known officially as the Brisbane Correctional Centre but for us in Queensland grew up in Brisbane it was just locally called Bogo Road Jail because it was the jail on Bogo Road. And the spelling of jail changed from G-A-O-L over time to J-A-I-L more popular and well-known American spelling. Um, when it first opened, it was simply a short-term prison, but in time it grew to become the biggest prison in Queensland. By the 1970s and 80s, it was in physical, in physical area the biggest, and it was certainly the most modern at that. By the late 1970s, many of the old features of the prison, including the old cell block A-wing that John's been talking about, they were torn down, but John Andrew Stewart helped to bring down that cell, that, oh, that wing, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, were, you, were you working when he was on the roof? Yeah, we had a um, A wing and B wing, and the chiefs officer there in one division. Uh, uh, this so-called bounty on uh, you know, on, on Stuart's head. He's got up on the roof in A wing, which is three stories high, forty-two cells, and he's got up on top there, and he's come through the roof, and he's uh, for some unknown reason he's got these bricks out of the top of the. Uh, don't know how he did it, but he's put the word up there: victims of police verbal. How he's written, he's written it in. Uh, Made like a bricks. Yeah, yeah. What's that about? A two foot long, brick. One, two, three, three. Say three bricks long in the word. And he's up there, and he's gone there, and um, and it's got a bit hot. And a few of the TV crews are going over in the helicopters, and I'm thinking, if one of these has got a rifle, high-powered assault rifle, they're going to bop him off. But the funny thing, I um. I'm, you know, for me with this, he's wanted a marked man. And if you were down Park Road, which is about 100 yards away from the walls of um, Bogger Road there and the fence, and there's a uh, Park Road train station, there's areas there. And I thought, well, if he's that wanted, yeah, I could go around there with a rifle and you could pick him off. You're like, to a marksman, to anyone in, in a rifle club, you'd pick that off. He's probably in the vicinity of say 150 yards, if that, if that, and if he's so well one another, well, we'll soon see if he's going to how he's going to come off that roof one way or another. But he put a massive big hole in the roof, and he's got it all self-destructed, and uh, he, uh, yeah, and he had that sign. He got his got his uh, attention with the outside world, with the TV crews, and he was up there for a couple of days and pretty hot. But uh, bear in mind. When they're in jail, they pick, we're called screws, and they get to know you. And I mean, seriously, get to know you. And, you know, you sort of like take the grog or take the alcohol or take the drugs out of them and all that, and they'll get to know you, and you'll get to know them. Because you're like a foreman in a human factory. You're there, and they will talk to you, you know, like they, they, the gangsters in the yards talking about their plan and their experiences in graft, and they always love graft. And, Fanny Bay up in Darwin, or Flaming Long Bay, oh, it always gets mentioned, or somewhere in Pentridge. But your workout is going to be like the Bogger Road of, of Pentridge, you know, the cages and A wings and that. But that Stuart, going back to that, I was so impressed. No one knocked him off. But there's one bloke that's going to, uh, an officer mate of mine, I'll let him, um, Alan, um, Alan, uh, Alan Norris, it's going to be his, he was the guy that he used to conform, like I mentioned, the Baron, uh, Ron Boronetti with people that could talk to him, it's just, they'd call him by first name too, by the way, and come on, John, knock it off. Hey, come on, out, out. Yeah, again, because I don't know whether they, and, and it's, you got respect for that bloke, but you know, and being of what we knew of what uh, Stuart was, you think, how did he do that? But, but these guys are going to trust officers. You, you're not, you know, if you really want to talk sense, they'll go and talk to those guys in particular, but Alan, I'll talk him down, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he come down with everything. But he was buggered. You just remember, he's dehydrated. It was hot. Uh, and he got the water from. He got some sort of water supply from something. But but he was up there. It was hot, and he'd hide underneath the roof through the day and come out. Um, that's when he he might have got wind that someone's going to have a crack at him from over there at the Park Road train station in the car park there. And you know he was a marked man, and uh, they'll bring him in one way, whether whoever the underworld was wanted him. But yeah. Oh, you know, you, you know me a while, John. You know I love it as, as well as running crime tours. I run ghost tours as well in Brisbane. And uh, 
Um, I love folklore and storytelling, and I've heard from, from quite a number of people who lived around Bogaray Jail and Park Road. And so there's an urban legend that, that they heard gunshots at Stewart in the oh, yeah. late afternoon, at, um, you know, when he was on the roof. You know, I've, I've not, not been able to find any evidence of that in newspaper articles of the day. You think it would have made it into the paper if shots were actually fired, but but yeah, you know, according to local legend, you know, you know, oh, there was a series of shots in the afternoon. Someone shot at him, you know, and, uh, and I think you know your suspicion that someone would want to knock him off. You know, I think they, I think local the neighbours, they people thought that it was likely to be you guys or police or someone wanting <laughs> yeah. to knock him off. You know, not not that it was a criminal element that we want him dead, but he certainly, uh, you know, he was he, he served serious time down south for the murder of a. Of a, of a gunman down in New South Wales. And, you know, he might have started his career as a young troubled youth in Queensland, in Brisbane, knocking off cars and, you know, um, you know, taking taxi drivers for a ride. But, um, you know, by, by the time he was a young man, he was involved in pretty heavy stuff. And I think he, uh, he was slightly, you know, wasn't slightly, he was very unhinged in the mind. And I think he made a lot of enemies as much as he made, got status, he also, I think, made some Bitter enemies. What about um? What about uh, his friend James Finch? What do you remember about Finch? What do you remember your first impressions with him? You, you actually, you and Finch sort of got on fairly well. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Finch I kept away from because he had his his isolation that I'm a screw and he's a crim and friends don't talk to screws and uh, but he knew I followed sport and. Uh, and he knew because of the radio stations, it was 4BC on the football or whatever. And he followed soccer and different things. And he knew that I'm listening to some sports school from somewhere. And he <clears throat> sort of like, it's not saying, then he talked, he got to talk to me about some sport, you know, something that he wanted to hear a score. And he knew who I followed and whatever. And he, and he was into that. And he'd get a, you know, I'm, I'm like the key to the outside world. I always mainly work six in the morning to and he'd always get me and he'd, he'd even call out, hey, they got up last night as I'm walking down to go somewhere. And he, but he'd sort of pick how he did it. But yeah, and like the walls are talking, but it was, it was Finch calling to me, you know, good score. And he said, good on you, mate, you know. And other Quinns got to know that he talked to you. He very selectively talked to people. Because he, he didn't trust, you can't blame him either. But I, I wasn't interested in the jail with him. I wasn't interested in what he did, you know. I knew who he was, a whole lot. As I say, he'd call me Mr. Peel, then he'd call me uh, boss, or, you know. And then he'd call me by my name. And, you know, oh. And he just was just so engrossed that he knew that he can't, they never had uh, uh, the crew of the newspapers then. They never had television coverage on different sports. And, but I did. I knew it, you know. And, he, and he, he'd have his select guys that he trusted. And he just seen you get around, he just seen how you spoke to crims and crims. Staunch crims get to know you. They do get to know you, they really do. The gangsters are, oh, forget it, you buy them a dime a dozen, they're just, uh, they just would be, could be, whatever, you know, we in Westbrook, they started there at Wollstone Boys, and then they come from here, went to the, yeah, good on you. You know, they always want to have their gangster stories, you go, oh yeah, right, grow up one day, you know. Anyhow, yeah, but the staunch guys, and this is the difference, uh, my good mate that died the other day, Johnny Ford, he taught me a lot of things about old schools because he came from the old country over in the UK and he was one of those guys I, I learned a lot of. 
and, uh, and all the old guys and crims actually respected staunch prison officers. They did. Oh, you got your guys that are just no good, but they're everywhere, you know. And crims, because you're in there with them, and they would talk to you. And rather than talk to the gangsters in the yard, they'd talk to you. And they go, he's over there talking like you. Yeah, what's he doing talking to Jack Sim? Oh, yeah, they were talking about something, you know. You know, I'm not into chess or anything boring, you know, I was into activity and uh, some horse race somewhere. And and they talk to you to, like you're a source to the outside world and you, there's nothing in it for you, you know, just to talk to a bloke and he'd say something and you promptly and you could bounce off him in, in conversation. And what was going on, oh yeah, you had a bit of a ride on the weekend, you know, you'd laugh a lot that way. Because those guys don't want to get involved. They're, they're just, you know, mate, I'm going home, mate. I'm going out there for the other plastic gangsters. Give them, give them knives and plastic knives and forks. That's all they're good for. <laughs> but yeah, no, no. We, we might take a break at this moment here, John, and we'll pick it up again after we hear a word from our sponsors. You enjoy reading about true crime? The Murder Trail series explores some of Queensland's most infamous cases, including Who Killed Betty Shanks, Slim Halliday, the taxi driver killer, the Rampage of Killer Cast and Innocence Lost, The Last Man Hanged in Queensland. Just some of the titles available at jacksim.com.au. I'm Jack Sim. Please support my local publishing business as I explore some of Queensland's dark past. Welcome back on this episode of Murder Trails. I'm talking with John Peel, former prison officer from Bobberay Jail. And we're talking about one of the two men who served time for the firebombing of the Western Yugogo, James Finch. And Jim Finch was one of those, uh, well, um, probably he's largely forgotten today in many ways, but by the average person, I guess, but he was a household name along with John Andrew Stewart back in the day with the firebombing. After the death of his friend in the prison, uh, when John Andrew Stewart was found dead at Bobberay Jail, um, in 1979, Finch sort of became a sort of a different sort of a fella in a way. Like he, he became a bit of a model uh, prisoner, didn't he, John? He became, got into uh, boxing and uh, jogging around the oval of the new number one division. And he used to carry plastic containers on his shoulders to become a bit of a fitness a fitness freak. Um, and uh, he became known as the Birdman at Bogger Road because he was raising birds. They had to raise birds, and and then of course um, he was uh, took up clean living. Um, both him, I, I think, and uh, John Andrew Stewart have both been heroin users in the day. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, I, I believe so. Um, it's once um, Stewart died, um, Finch, you know, was you know, lived, wanted to live a clean lifestyle. He ate, you know, ate cleanly and everything. And um, an old pen pal friend of a pen pal of John Andrew Stewart called Cheryl Cole. After Stewart's death, Jim Finch befriended her and uh, she formed a group called the Friends of Finch to help try and get Jim Finch out of prison, believing very wholeheartedly that he was innocent of the firebombing. Do you remember her visits to the jail, John? Or did you ever meet her? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Jack. Um, of course, they were. she was to ultimately Married her. Um, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Well, initially, see, Jimmy Finch was uh, oh, just on when we'd sent some mail that 
under the name of Jimmy Finch and, and J.A. Stewart. And that was all um, censored by a certain, you know, the mailman companies. This was a really scrutiny. Um, and I didn't take much notice because you get girls that just write to blokes and they get a bit of an image about someone and they just write to them and like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Finch has got another letter, Stewart's got another letter. It's just, and they sort of like formulate who they are or what connection do they really have or is it just a bit of a thing they've read in some magazine somewhere about it. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, we've seen it, like she was in a wheelchair or there's a bit of a sad story that she's getting MS or something she had and she'd come up in a wheelchair to visit him and it sort of blossomed from there well there's you know his um, notoriety with uh, Stuart off the scene and he's the only way he's going to get out of jail he's going to have to come up with either invent the bible or um, find some love affair and win a few hearts with the girl in the, in the wheelchair and this is where it's all going to go from there and uh, you take it with a grain of salt like if it was for real to me I thought it was all BS but yeah okay that's what they've got to do, they've got to do, you know. And he was okay to me and I thought, oh, well, you know, you're going to work the system and the system will work for him, so good luck to him. <laughs> and uh, his wedding of the year down there in the female division, I thought, oh, here we go, who's on the invite list? Yeah. yeah, that was, that was who's who. In the oh, scene, wasn't it? At the time, um, it, well, he married Cheryl um, at the, in, in, the cha- in the chapel in the Brisbane Women's Prison. Yeah. Made the papers at the oh. time for the photograph. His wedding suit, and um, and uh, you know this was all ultimately, sadly, to just try and curry favour with the with the public. Cheryl was absolutely devoted to him, and did everything she could. Sold family jewellery, and you know raised money. There's so many people fell under his spell. It's quite extraordinary. They believed that this Englishman with a criminal career was. You know, he, he, he even prayed with oh, the yeah. families of those who, who died. He acted well. He was a good actor. <laughs> he was a good actor. No, no. We were, we were amazed at that, Jack. Because it was like, who's on the invite list? Who's going? It's like, are they all going to have a big hot bath together? We all get nice and hot and we get the <laughs> TV cameras in there. Oh, yes, we're all lovely people. We're all converted. We're all bullshit. He was in Australia. He done, the tip was when he came to Australia, he he was on the uh, on the radar on a few people that are no longer with us, and uh, but anyhow, yeah, but that wedding, oh my god, it was like a big hot bath. Everyone's all excited, and all the top brass of the prison department were in, in attendance. I thought, you're kidding me! You're kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! This is a big conjure. <laughs> well, it sure was, wasn't it? Oh god, we, we, we you just see it was written all over it. But anyhow, let's let's see who can be conned. Yeah. It was on, then it made, as you said, Jack, God, read the papers, the TV channels, oh my God, I nearly had a box of tissues reading it. We might pick up what we're talking about in the next episode of Murder Trails, John. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your time today. We'll, we'll pick it up in our next episode. <laughs> Discover Brisbane's criminal history 
Join me, Jack Sim, and my team of guides as we explore Queensland's fascinating criminal past. Cases we explore include the Whiskey A Go-Go, the Betty Shanks murder, and the Vampire Killer. We have a range of different crime walks and coach tours. To book a tour, brisbanecrimetours.com.au or crimetoursaustralia.com.au. Look forward to sharing our dark past with you.